When you're getting back into your busy fall routine but still want to make every breakfast count, try Blue Apron's new ready-to-cook meals that offer your favorite fresh quality ingredients ready in minutes. With 60-plus options each week, you can choose from an ever-changing mix of high-quality meat, fish, vegetarian, WW-recommended, and health-conscious offerings. Get a $100 gift card, plus enjoy $130 off across your first six orders when you place an order by September 23rd. Visit blueapron.com unique2022. When you bundle your renters and auto insurance with Progressive, you could save money, but it doesn't cover any terrible memories living rent-free in your head. Remember when one of your best players got injured, but not like on a play or anything? He got injured celebrating a play, and it's not like it was a game-winning play or in the playoffs. And he was out the rest of the season because he was injured while celebrating? Yeah. Sorry, we can't save you from that memory, but we could save you money bundling your renters and auto insurance with Progressive. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Renters insurance and bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Hi, it's me, Bill. Welcome to another episode of the Let's Go Eat show where we don't eat anything. Although I I did consume a uh, tangerine almost immediately after the podcast, but we got to get back to eating stuff, Dylan. We do. Well, I I said to you and Ed, I'd like to bring in some crown burgers because I know you and Ed, after uh, one of you has surgery, you meet together for a crown burger. We have bonded over crown burgers. Edward K. Brass is the attorney at law, is the uh, guest on the show today. And both of you said, nah, I don't want to do that. I didn't want a crown burger. Well, I'm fine. Screw you guys. Uh, Listen, we're going to get to the interview with Ed. Uh, I thought it was a uh, an interesting and lively discussion. Yeah, he was uh, great. About the law, mostly, but about his life a little bit. He doesn't like to talk about personal stuff too much, but we, we talked a little bit about his life and uh, and about the law. But uh, before we do that, uh, Dylan, what you, you've been talking to me for a while about Patreon. What That's are we right. doing with that? All right, so here's the thing. The, the Let's Go Eat show takes t- some time and some money to do, and, um, and so we need your help to continue to do it i just bought a new mixing board with your own money with my own money yep that's right and we've heard how many times on the podcast have you heard us bitching about headphones going out yeah or uh that you know that kind of thing Mm -hmm. um and so if we want to continue to do it and make more podcasts uh we need your help and so there's this website called patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n you could you become a patron patreon Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a way for you to uh, support podcasts or other artists. We're not really artists. Okay, so what do you, what do you want them to you do? Like, so if you go to patreon.com and search the Let's Go Eat show, it'll bring up our profile, and you can subscribe to our Patreon channel for um, any amount you want per month. Mm-hmm. But we have some rewards for you for doing that. Okay, you don't get it for free. All right. So for uh, like five bucks a month, uh, you start off. You get a Let's Go Eat show double shot. What this is going to be is. An extra hour a month, two 30-minute episodes of the Let's Go Eat show uh, that you will get exclusively for supporting us on oh, Patreon. I see. So it sounds like you're just uh, uh, making more work for me. Yep. Okay. Um, and then uh, the next tier up is 10 bucks, 10 bucks a month. Yeah. Uh, let Make mine a double T-shirt. We'll send you a T-shirt. I don't even have one of those. Nope, you don't. That'd be great. Subscribe to the thing. Okay, ten bucks a month. All right. And then uh, for those of you who are so who you are, get the T-shirt and the extra content. That's right. Yeah, you gotcha. get everything. 
co- going up to it. All right, gotcha. Now, uh, then if you want to really uh, come through for us and really help us out and support, we got some bigger ticket items. For 25 a month, mm-hmm. we let you sit in on an episode. Oh, we'll say, okay. hey, next Thursday we're recording with Ed Brass. Uh, we're going to be uh, getting a crown burger probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't okay. you come by? All right. Just hang out with us. Okay. And then uh, for 50 bucks a month, this is a big ticket item, is lunch with us. No recording. Wherever you want to go. We'll just buy you lunch? We'll just take you to lunch. Buy you lunch wherever you want to go. Right. All right. So you can go. You can check out a little bit of what all those are. Uh, you can see a picture of what the t-shirt looks like and uh, make yourself a, a Patreon account and support us okay. uh, by doing that. And um, there'll be more to come. You can get links to it from the letsgoeatshow.com. You can find it on our social medias, on our Facebook, Twitter account. Or just go to Patreon dot com and look for search for the let's go eat show that's right okay Okay. that's this show our guest is edward k brass we'll just take it away i hope you enjoy the conversation here it is ed brass uh edward k brass attorney at law um i feel kind of odd uh uh, just asking you questions because your job is usually to ask the questions Right. And, you know, when we teach people uh, to say as little as response as possible in mm-hmm. response to those questions, you know, like yes or no answers. So this could be incredibly boring. Yeah. I mean, I won't go uh, into any of the details, but I've been to court with Ed and uh, and he'll t- that's exactly what he says. When they ask you questions, try and keep it to yes or no. Right. You don't want to elaborate. Mm-hmm. You don't want to divulge too much information because even if you're not guilty, you may incriminate yourself. And you know that, and so you don't want to incriminate yourself. You don't want to be like the President of the United States, for example. Yeah. So, Ed, um, you know, as long as you have been around the Radio From Hell show, uh, I I tried to think back on the first time I ever actually really saw you. Uh, You were... um, I knew of you because you would (laughs) fax us pictures and stuff in the early days of X96, uh, how did you how did you find our show? I, you know, I was I was a fan of the, the predecessors to, to Radio from Hell. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it was KCGL. It was before you guys were were uh, on the air, right? Yeah, and I followed those people as they went from station to station, and, and then became uh, a fan of yours when you guys started the show. And you you just you liked that kind of music. That's what drew you to it. Yeah. I did because you, you know um, the, the '60s is my era I mean, for music, mm-hmm. and uh, the '70s were horrendous with, Bad, with yeah. disco and so forth, and, and the '80s were were really very good. I mean, it was quite a comeback from the '60s. Uh, so I and I was trying to think of the was the first the first time I ever recall seeing you in person. I was doing an event at Kirkham's Outdoor Products. Well, I remember that now. it was the yeah. boot throw. Yeah, that's right, and you. <laughs> You came to th- uh, to throw a boot for a distance uh, to see if you could win a pair of boots. I don't know if you really thought you could do it, or you just came to check it out. And you were wearing you were wearing a wife beater. <laughs> that must have been a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. You were just wearing you know a sleeveless. <laughs> well, you know, it's the New Jersey. It's the, it's the antecedents. You know, the- uh, born in uh, in New Jersey. Born in New Jersey. Now you know, as I was looking looking you up online, and there's not a lot of information about you there. Hopefully, which, which I'm sure you're Hopefully. glad of. Right. Uh, the uh, there's an obituary for your father there. Yes. Uh, also, Edward K. Brass. See, 
Oh, it's C. Yeah. Oh, Christie. That's my, right. My grandpa was a, a K. Uh, okay, Edward Christie Brass is your was your father, and who I know you were um, uh, devoted to. I mean, right. I took care of him as you know towards the end of his life. And uh, he, um, um, it was it was a great obituary, which I assume you wrote with some help, probably from your siblings, but. Uh, you're you're close. I, th- I think that's right. Or maybe Amy wrote it. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Your wife, she, Amy Amy Donaldson. She's a great editor. Yeah, and she's a good writer too. Yes. Uh, but um, so I found out some things about you just by reading that. Uh, your father was a uh, a great man. I think. What's kind of you to say? I mean, it, it seemed to me that uh, when reading that, I could tell. Whoever had written it, and I thought, kind of assumed it was you, uh, you admired your father a great deal. I did. He was also one of the motivating factors in my life as well. What did he motivate you to do? Well, I, I thought it was weird. It said he and his wife um, uh, moved out to Utah uh, after being uh, New Jerseyans for all their lives and uh, started another career here. But you weren't here. Your brothers weren't here. And yet all of you ended up here. Some of that had to do with school. You know, I, I was at the Ohio State University at the time. Oh, I didn't know you went to Ohio State. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that wasn't in there. I'm so surprised. I'm surprised that wasn't in there. And, you know, when I came home one summer, the house was empty. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no forwarding address. And I had some skip tracers look into it. And eventually I found that they'd moved out here. To, You're, to no, that, you made that up. Well, sort you, of. <laughs> just a little. Yeah. And so they'd moved out here, and, they, and you know, and <laughs> you make it sound like they were try, trying to hide from you, you. something like that. You know, I mean, they were gone, right? And they didn't tell me where they'd gone. And so, you know, uh, I found out that they moved out to Utah. Actually, actually, my dad, uh, at some point in, in time, he he was sort of a fad guy, and he got into uh, Arizona Highways magazine. You know, I remember that magazine. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and we'd get this glossy color magazine mm-hmm. with all these Western vistas that mm-hmm. had no bearing on New Jersey whatsoever, mm-hmm. or Ohio for that matter. So and it was it was like a, a photo magazine of yeah, stories deserts of, yeah. Sto- and stories the, about Arizona. Yeah. You know, beautiful places in Arizona. I don't mm-hmm. know. Maybe it's still available. So he just got, him, got, him, got his hands on this magazine about Arizona it, and just headed west. That is exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what happened. But lost motivation when he hit Utah. I think, I think, I think, look, when you live in New Jersey and you grow up in New Jersey, you just know, I'm sorry to say this, that, that Utah is somewhere between Iowa and California, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, and it, yeah. And so I kind of think that is what happened. That's I mean, all I know. Thought, eh, that's close enough to Arizona. And the climate's a heck of a lot better most of the year. I mean, it really is, except for the, the inversion periods. Mm-hmm. So, so they came and, and when it came time to go to law school, which is a story in and of itself, um, I was able to get resident tuition, so I came here as well. Mm. Now, did you, uh, you you went to Ohio State for pre-law? Is that what you wanted to do? Uh, I, yeah, I did, but I was always pushed by other people. You know, my, my mom uh, uh, is the one that filled out the applications to go to college, or I think I'd be a plumber now. You know, and, Re- and, and seriously. probably better off, yeah. Seriously. And more mentally stable. Absolutely. You were a New Jersey, were you like a New Jersey tough kid, uh, a brawler? Well, uh, maybe in my mind. You know, I mean, there are a lot of people in New Jersey that are tough kids in their mind. Yeah. You know, so it's it's <laughs> it's it's not the reality. Uh, and so she did that. And so, you know, and, and that was a place where I wanted to go because I fancied myself some kind of an athlete. Um, so I went to school there. And, and what then, kind of an athlete? 
You know, I thought that I could be a football player. You really did? Yeah, because it, because in high school I was pretty good, but uh, I learned when I went away to school to you know to a major university with a major program that not only was I on the small side, but I was also deceptively slow. <laughs> deceptively <laughs> slow. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah, they used the sundial <laughs> to time me in the forty. Right. <laughs> you know, it was sort of sad. So, you know, after that was done, and then I had another person in my life who motivated me, uh, put motivation in quotes, to go to law school. Who was that? Uh, it was a woman that I was living with at the time hmm. who, who uh, thought that law school was the thing for me to do. Why, now, why did they think that law school was the thing for you to do? I, I, you know, I, I took an aptitude test one time, and it came out that I should be – there were four things that they said I was suited for. One was – uh, advertising executive, mm-hmm. one was a lawyer, one was an airplane pilot, and, and the last one, which is the one I missed out on, was sheep herder. <laughs> no, it wasn't. I'm dead serious. It was a sheep herder. Really? Yeah. And so now I see these guys, you know, the, the, as I drive around Utah, and I drive all over Utah all the time for work, and I see these guys in their, in their little camper shells running their sheep in the, in the back, these bass guys in mm-hmm. the back country, mm-hmm. and think, man, that could be me. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of sad. So you I can really to... see it. I can see that. Yeah, from the little bit I know about Ed, he's just out there standing, quiet, majestically with a beard, long beard, book, quiet. A book. Mm-hmm. He brought a book. Yeah, very good. Yeah, exactly right. A a staff. In my staff, yeah, a, a crook. It, right, it has a sure. shepherd's it crook. Would, it would it would be like the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Uh, so you move out to Utah. You go to law school uh, at University of Utah. And uh, uh, and here you stayed. And your uh, your brothers moved out. You have two brothers. I yeah, think? my brothers came out as well. My my uh, my dad had his own business. And he and my mom had their own business. Mm-hmm. And one of my brothers worked in that. And my youngest brother uh, worked for the Salt Lake County Fire Department. Bill for, Brass. Right. But you see his name in the paper. Is he still working? He is, and he's retired. He's I think he's retired twice now from there. <laughs> he, was, he was the public information guy for a long time. Yeah. So, uh, and here you stay. You uh, ha- had a family or two. Yep. Uh, yeah, two. Yeah, we all do. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and you practice law. Can um, I, um, I've always never quite understood how law school works. Do you have to get like a bachelor's degree in a law-related field and no. then go to law school? You really don't. You can get a bachelor's degree in anything that you want. And I went to school with people who had things that ranged from engineering to music degrees and everything in between. You know? So what was your bachelor's degree in? My bachelor's degree is in political science. Which, which is, is kind of co- typical for law. Yeah, law, it is. It? And it's it's uh, not worth a whole lot. Mm. And then um, when you go to law school, there are different kinds of lawyers uh, who have different focuses. At what point do you decide, I'm going to well, be I was going to ask that. I'm the host of the show. That's okay. Sorry, I, for, I remembered the questions I was going to ask. That's and a, I had to ask them. A, go ahead. It seemed like you were leaving law school and moving on to no, lawyer, I was not lawyerhood. Not. Okay. I might have, actually. Yeah, I think you were going to. Okay. So when do you decide that? I decided that really early on. Criminal I, defense. Yeah, I, had, I was, you know, like, as you pointed out, I grew up in New Jersey, and, and I had a uh, <laughs> colorful childhood. You know, and, and Did you have some, some bit that, of a criminal that, past? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. Just a little. You, you, you know, dealt with the cops on the other side yeah, of the Yeah, a few law. times. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I decided one time, again, this is in the, the late 60s, after I'd taken quite a beating from a guy with a flashlight who had a law enforcement uniform that I wanted to be a lawyer, you know, I wanted to be a criminal lawyer. I mean, it was sort of an idea that was floating around in my head. 
and then again, like I said, other people later on encouraged me to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but but to answer your your question, you know, things may have changed now, but at the time that that I was in law school, uh, which was back when we took notes on stone tablets, <laughs> uh, it was just the seventies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but back then they they uh, it was a general education. You didn't specialize in it. They taught us all kinds of stuff that mm. that that unfortunately is stuck in my mind, but is utterly worthless to me. Like how people in England conveyed real property in the in the 14th century. You know, important stuff like that. You know, but I mean, I knew I wanted to be a criminal lawyer a long time ago. Uh, and that's what I've aimed for. Actually, you, uh, I was surprised to find, though, that you actually had a p- pretty good aptitude for uh, contract law. And did, do, Have you done some of that, or you just... Yeah, a, a little you bit. You know it. I mean, you know it. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, contract law is... I don't know why. Maybe it's maybe it's because, you know, for criminal law, you have to read a lot of statutes. Mm-hmm. It comes to me fairly easy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's other things that are a total mystery to me. L- let me go to this beating uh, with a flashlight. Uh, by a law enforcement officer, and I, and I don't, I don't care what what you did or didn't do. That's I do. not. Uh, no, I just want to know. I care a lot about. Were it. you deserve? Did you deserve no. the beating with the flashlight? No, you know, I mean, I have on other occasions. I mean, I I have, <laughs> I have heard the words more than once. Stop or I'll shoot in my life. Uh, <laughs> really? Oh yeah. But but not on this occasion. What, what happened was. <laughs> Ed's played a lot of laser tag, is what he's trying to tell you. <laughs> exactly. In the yeah. 90s, Ed got exactly. really into laser yeah. tag yeah. and would go out. Yeah. I was with my friends, and we were down at the infamous Jersey Shore, which has since been dragged through the mud by that television show. And, and, and we were uh, outside in the street uh, very late at night outside of a store, and some passersby formed the opinion from what I don't know, because we weren't doing anything. Uh, that we were breaking into the store that we were that we were standing outside of, and they reported it as a burglary, and, and uh, they just rolled up and started beating us. Mm. And, and when they figured out that we were telling the truth uh, and that nothing had happened, uh, there wasn't any crime in progress. I mean, you're talking about you know 16, 17 year old kids who don't know any better. They said, well, you know, okay, we're going to let you go and you just go back to wherever you're staying and don't talk about this and everything will be just fine, you know. And, and you did, did you do we that? We did just that, yeah, because yeah, I thought that would keep me out of trouble, yeah. uh, you know, and in, in the years since thinking about it, uh, you know, I realized what they were doing. Hmm. So uh, a criminal, defen- criminal defense lawyer, uh, not uh, not the way to make a lot of money generally unless you get some you know, you, you, you stumble into or somebody comes to you with one of those high-profile, you know, O.J. cases. or which are, which are few and far between. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, that's why lawyers take those a lot of times. I think so, and I think sometimes they'll take him for no fee just to get the publicity. Right. Not, not the, they, they may not get the money from the, that case, but they get the publicity. and It turns into other cases. Yeah. It's uh, a comfortable living. I mean, I have no complaints. You know, I, I don't. We, we don't make the say the kind of money that say a personal injury lawyer does, or a corporate attorney, or mm-hmm. uh, you know, people that do things that require you to think. Well, it'd be a lot easier to be a corporate attorney, be a, be an attorney for the 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 power company or the the water, you know, the city or whatever. You can go to an office and work eight hours a day and. You know, and I, get a salary, and hopefully you don't take it home with you. I mean, I, I would assume that. Mm-hmm. You know, but this this stuff that that we do, you know, I wake up at night worrying about people and what's going to happen next. You um, said to me one time, uh, you were 
uh, and again, I don't, we don't really need to go into the particulars of that that case. Uh, it was a pretty uh, high-profile case. Um, and you'll remember this when I tell you. You probably don't know what I'm talking about right now. No, but when you, you said to me, uh, I said, how you doing? And he said, uh, God, I've been in court looking at pictures of things that no human being should ever have to see. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was a case where there was a, some brutal brutality and t- torture. And, and you were defending the, the torturers. <laughs> Legend, the brutalizers. Alleged torturers at that point, right? At that yeah. point, alleged. Right. And, uh, and as evidence, of course, they bring, the prosecution brings out, the, the prosecution brings out the big guns, which are those pictures, and they're, you know, and the jury's going to go, oh, Christ, you know, they're guilty. Uh, but I, then I thought to myself, and I said to you, I think I said to you, uh, why do you do it? Why do you take cases like that? I firmly believe that, that if our criminal justice system is going to survive, then every person who's accused of a crime deserves the best possible representation that anyone can provide to them. Anyone. I, you know, I don't hold that out that somehow I'm unique in that regard. There's so many people out there, and particularly dedicated public defenders, that will turn themselves inside out to represent someone, you know, to, to throw themselves on the ground uh, to, to do whatever it takes to represent someone. That, uh, even, they, even people they know are guilty? Yeah, I, yeah, and people don't. And and again, I think you explained this to me pretty well, and I want you to go into sure. it. You, why is that important? Why do you take a case? Well, you know this person is guilty. You knew that case. You know the. I think it was a woman, and her, and you knew they were guilty. You knew they'd done these horrible things. I knew that. I knew that the evidence was fairly strong about that. Let me let me let me help you with that. I mean, okay. I, I don't go into it. This may seem odd, but. I, I tried 99.9% of the time not to discuss guilt or innocence with the people I'm representing with at all. You know, I mean, with I, them. I, yeah, I presume to to think that that if they say they're innocent, then then I'm going to extend to them that presumption of innocence that the legal system extends to them as well. And I don't worry about that. That, that excuse me, that the legal system allegedly extends. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> at least in the jury instruction yeah. at the end of the trial, right? That yeah. one. You know, so. So yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I I think they're entitled to that. I think that that if they have no friend in the system, you know, if, if they take me or some other defense lawyer out of the equation and they don't believe in their clients, then it's hopeless. Mm-hmm. You know, they're cast adrift, and I and I can't, I can't do that. You know, mm-hmm. that's just not what I can do. But I mean, to your point, there I have I have uh, many many photographs like you're talking about playing in a endless loop inside my head sorry it's okay it is what it is yeah it's it's the life i chose uh talk a little bit about uh i thought maybe you would go into it there but talk a little bit about too about the power of the state the state has all the power The, the most important person in the criminal justice system is not the judge and not the defense attorney it's the it's the public prosecutor and the reason that the most important person and powerful person in the system is the public prosecutor is because they decide what to charge someone with. They decide uh, whether to make any charge whatsoever. They decide what degree of offense to charge. They decide it, there's United States Supreme Court decisions that say you are not entitled to a plea bargain in any case. So they decide whether or not to offer you a plea bargain, and if they don't, there's there's no uh, recourse or uh, solution to that issue. Mm-hmm. Um, is it 
Is it supposed to be that way? I mean, that's the way it's set up. Should it be that way? You know, I don't know the alternative. I mean, I'm not smart enough to figure out the alternative. It is the way that it's set up. It's the way that it's evolved. I don't know that it should be that way. I would think that it might be more fair, and I'm sure that they would be resistant to that if judges were permitted to be more involved in plea bargaining. You know, if a judge was able to say to to some prosecutor who's overzealous, perhaps, uh, and is, is coming down a little bit too hard on an individual, that, look, you need to go back and think about whether or not that, that uh, your plea offer in this case that will put this, prison, this person in prison can't, for They can't do that? They cannot. Didn't they? They can veto pleas. They can, uh. they can, you know, you can bring them a plea and they can say, well, I think that's too harsh or too lenient and, you know, go back to the drawing board. Uh, but that's it. Have judges have been tied down even more and more and more over the years, though, haven't they? Yeah. By uh, uh, it's almost as though you just have to judge. I'm sorry, you just have to go by the book, and you have to sentence somebody to this, and you have no discretion. There is there is mandatory sentencing in a lot of crimes, you know. So that that does happen, and it's usually a minimum mandatory, and they get to choose among which of three sentences they might want to go. For example, or in federal court. There's all sorts of mandatory sentencing for all sorts of crimes. Um, some of it is that, that the thing that's changed is that there's, there's more pressure brought on judges in public. And mm. judges, state court judges, unlike federal judges, are subject to retention elections. They can be voted out. And so they don't want to rock the boat, uh, even though they make really difficult and courageous decisions every day. They don't want to rock the boat too much <clears throat> and risk not being retained. And I wouldn't say that about every judge. Okay, I mean, I'm generalizing. So there are there are plenty who who just say I don't care. I'm going to do what I think is the best thing to do. And yeah, yeah. Let, let me let me just say since we're on the subject of judges that that right now Governor Herbert, in all the years I've been practicing law, which is a very long time now, has done the absolute best job of all the judges of appointing people. All the governors the, of. Yeah, excuse me, all the governors of appointing judges to the bench. Hmm. You know, he's he's impo- he's appointed an incredibly diverse group of people hmm. who are bright, capable, and young for the most part. It's really impressive what he's done. Well, how, what is it? Where do you think that comes from? I uh, do you have any idea? I gov- I, th- I think it comes from him. I mean, part of it is that the process is this: that there's a nominating commission in each of the districts that there are around the state. And uh, those nominating commissions suggest five people after they go through a process of elimination to the governor as to who you know might be suitable to be appointed for a vacancy, and then he picks one of those five. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a process that I'm not familiar with because I don't want to be a judge and never will be that he goes through in, in that selection process. Um, and he picks one of the five, and he, you know, the, the guy's done a great job. I mean, I have to say. Well, I, you know, that's good. I, it's good to know because whenever I've been around Gary Herbert, I think I don't agree with his politics a lot of times, but kind of like this guy. That's exactly what I think is going on here. I think that's going on with respect to the judges. He's appointing the best person for the job, irrespective of what their politics might and, be. And it's because he's a good guy. Herbert is a good guy. I, I don't know him, but I, I think, think he, he must be. Why don't you want to be a judge? A lot of attorneys. Uh, kind of 
uh, sort of maybe plan and angle that way, don't they? It'd be a great to be a judge, and they get they, they sort of play the politics. And yeah, they do. Many many people view that as, as the pinnacle of, of the exper- the legal experience. And, and it, I'm it, not saying that's a bad thing. No, it is. They, they no. play the game no, no, to well, get you, there. You have to. Yeah. I mean, you have to build up a resume, and sure. you have to make contacts with the people on these commissions, and you have to have people reach out to the governor and all that. Uh, and you know, unless you're just some sort of superstar, why do I not want to do it? Okay, well, I'm I'm gonna cut my own throat on your show here. <laughs> Let's start with the idea that, number one, I don't want to decide who gets which plate in the divorce or or who gets, I don't want to make those Solomon decisions as to which person the child's going to go with. I want yeah. nothing to do with that. Uh, number two, I don't think I want to send people to prison. You know, I'm a little afraid that, that I might be too cynical and get too liberal with, with locking people up. Mm-hmm. Or not do it at all simply because, you know, I know that there are innocent people that get convicted of crimes. And I know that there are people who are innocent of a crime who plead guilty to a lesser degree offense to avoid what you talked about earlier, the, the potential that they could get this minimum mandatory 15 years in prison. That happens, you mm-hmm. know, and I don't want to be the one that sends them to prison. And last but not least, uh, once you become a judge, your your pool of friends becomes somewhat limited, you know, <laughs> and you got to start going to conferences with other judges. Yeah. You know? yeah. I don't know that they're a really fun group, you know. <laughs> no offense. Uh, talk about uh, a little bit, if you would, about uh, the death penalty and that aspect of okay. the law and uh, and what you know. I've 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 gone back and forth when I was a young, really young guy. I was just really anti the death penalty. And then I became kind of, well, there are some people who just deserve to die, damn it. And then now I've kind of gone back to thinking the death penalty is not a good thing to have. It's interesting because it sounds like that you and I have gone through the same cycle. Mm-hmm. You know, I, went, I, went, I was always opposed to it in the beginning. I went through a period of time where I thought that, that maybe it was appropriate for some people. But, but the, the thing that ultimately convinced me, and that was a short period of time, that it's the wrong thing to do is that there are people, one of the arguments that's made in favor of the death penalty is it's society's right to defend itself, you know, to defend itself against dangerous people. The problem with that argument is that there are many dangerous people who haven't committed a crime that's suited for the death penalty, but may be on their way there. You know, how do you anticipate who those people are? The biggest problem that I have with the death penalty is that it's so random and arbitrary and capriciously imposed. You just don't know. First of all, to go back to what the public prosecutor can do, they can choose whether or not to seek the death penalty in a particular case. They They can file it as an ordinary murder when it might qualify as a death penalty case. They can decide somewhere along the way that if it is a case that qualifies for the death penalty, that they won't seek the death penalty. They only seek life in prison with or without parole. They can do those sorts of things. And again, I practice statewide. And as I go around the state, I find that the attitude towards the death penalty among prosecutors varies from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. And oftentimes, you know, the the people who you see where they're seeking death uh, in a particular case are, are the people who've led themselves absolutely horrendous and miserable lives. And, and finally, um, you know, the people who are out there and, and think that the death penalty is a good thing as a, as a theoretical matter have no idea what it's like to spend time in prison. Yeah, you know, they, they have no idea how miserable it is 
to even go visit someone in prison, let alone be in there. The, in maximum security at the Utah State Prison, you have very little contact with other human beings. It's it's not literally solitary confinement. It's very close to that. Uh, you, you don't see anybody except jailers usually, yeah. and, uh, and, and you go outside a half an hour a day or something you know, you like that. Get a, you get an hour, but if you're in the maximum part, you know, one of the privileges that they hold out to you is, is that at some point down the road and you'll be good enough to have recreation time with another person, you know? Yeah. That's an incentive. I mean, if you can imagine being alone all the time, even visitors, when you're out. Do they give, let you have visitors? They can have visitors, yeah. They they can have visitors. Strictly. It's, it's strictly monitored, right? And it's th- it's through bars and glass in in that facility. Mm-hmm. So, it's it's uh, you know, knowing what I know, if I was in those circumstances, I'd choose death. I can understand why people choose that. I mean, it's and it's also it's also true, a uh, certain amount of truth to the fact that uh, you have a really good lawyer, money to get a really good lawyer. You can often get off, uh, get a, escape that kind of thing, and and other crimes as well. There, yes, if you have the resources, if you can develop a mental health defense, for example, and you have the resources to pay for that, which isn't saying that experts somehow bend their opinion to, to whether they're being paid or not. They don't. But it's whether or not you can afford to get one in the first place. Now, there there is funding provided for people who are indigent that are on death row mm-hmm. that make that a little bit less of a problem. But but those cases are so time-consuming uh, that the funding really can never be added. There's a, a, there's a problem in Utah, I think, uh, and it is probably happening elsewhere, uh, with uh, enough public defenders stretched really thin. And, and t- talk about that, and how does the public defender system actually work? There, there are people... There, there are people. People there sometimes is, think there is just right this there. pool of public defenders. There is no public defender system. Right. That's the bottom line. It's a county by county option, and, and you know, and so it works depending upon your county's particular resources and willingness to you know to form a system that works in a particular way. I mean, it's it's different in in Ogden than it is in Farmington really? than it is in Salt Lake. Well, that seems kind of dumb. <laughs> Yeah, well, you you won't get any argument from me. I mean, I, I, over the years, there's been a push to have a statewide public defender's office, but but the counties who would be responsible for funding that, in my understanding, is have resisted that in some way. Yeah. And so it results in, in a great disparity in resources. So that's even true here in Salt Lake County, where we have, along the Wasatch Front, they're absolutely the best public defenders anywhere. And so, uh, but but they're overburdened. You know, when I go to court, Mondays, Fridays in, in Salt Lake, you see the public defenders come in and they have maybe you know fifteen files apiece, twenty files apiece, mm-hmm. you know, and and that's in the morning, and then in the afternoon they'll have fifteen or twenty more. There are less of them than there are district attorneys. They are paid less than district attorneys. They're in uh, a building that they've been in that's bursting at the seams <laughs> since I don't know thirty years ago, thirty-five years ago. They've mm-hmm. been in the exact same building. Meanwhile. Um, the Salt Lake District Attorney's Office has just had two new buildings built for them at, at incredible expense. One of them is right behind the, the courthouse, the Matheson Courthouse, and the other one's virtually adjacent to the courthouse in West Jordan. So they have the facilities, they have the lawyers, they have the pay, 
a lot more funding goes into prosecution and goes into defense. How does how does one become a public defender though? Do you choose to do that? Do yes, say, I want to. I want to work for the public defender's office. You get out of law school and you file an application with mm. the, the legal defender's office. And so, what's the situation though? When I know that sometimes, and I think it's happened to you, that a judge, I think a judge has said, "I'm assigning you to." to defend this case and you do it and you have to do it I think for nothing or maybe the state pays you a little bit of money what's that process that only happens now that was that was more common 20 years ago maybe Mm. that only happens now with respect to the death penalty cases you're talking about Uh, you know and and there is there's a in Salt Lake County and and even the rural counties have this as well but to a lesser degree there's a um, conflict of interest panel that the court can appoint someone to if the public defender has some sort of conflict. They can send you to a different lawyer. So th- that's taken care of. I mean, that's funded. Now I get phone calls from from uh, judges or people at the, the administrative office of the court saying, you know, do you want to do a death penalty case? Please do it. Uh, we'd like you to do it. Uh, it's kind of like that. That's kind of the way the Ed, phone call goes. Very Ed, good. please. Yeah. We, come on. We got to. <laughs> well, they know <laughs> that I'll, I'm dumb enough when, when, you, when I get that pitch that you just gave, which is almost verbatim, Ed, please. to say no. <laughs> and you always go, God, okay. Okay, all right. One <laughs> more won't kill me. <laughs> well, it might. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, that's yeah. I I I thought that that's I kind of thought that's how public defenders were handled. People that were sort of there was a time when it was that way. Uh, okay, there was that way. But but right now every every there's a surplus of lawyers, and so the counties oh, really? there are too uh, many lawyers. Way too many. Oh. Way too many. And and there are four or five, six hundred more turned out every year. Well, I think your son became a lawyer too. Exactly. Didn't he? That's what's, against what you, my advice. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, no, I told him not to. <laughs> but you know, I mean, kids disappoint you. What, what can kids say, right? right? Yeah. What the hell? <clears throat> Hi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Well, who? What? Who are you? Oh, that's right. No, no relation. I always refer to him as no relation. Uh, it must d- drive you crazy, by the way. I just thought of this to hear you listen to our show uh, fairly closely. I know when you can, right? And it must drive you crazy to hear me or Gina or uh, when a, a criminal case comes up, of you know, pontificating on. Uh, how could this have happened, or why this might have happened? And uh, well, when, it, when it really drives me crazy, I'll comment. Right? I mean, I'm not going to hesitate to do that. But yeah. you know, I mean, it's you have. It, yeah. It, but but the, the flip side of that is, I also think, strangely enough, that you are representative of the the general population, and so sure. you know, it's a way for me to gauge what's going on. With so like this case this morning, here's talking about this uh, this guy. I forget where it is. He. He he! Oh, it was up in Seattle. That case up in Seattle, where he went out with this woman. Uh, they went to a Mariners game. Uh, he got really drunk. They came back. He ends up killing her in the in the house, uh, dismembering her and putting her body pieces in a dumpster. Evidence conclusive. He did it. Right. He's sentenced today or yesterday to twenty eight years in prison. And I'm going. How is that possible? Well, every state has – that's another thing, is that every state has a different sentencing scheme. I and mean, we have a different sentencing scheme here. I don't know what the sentencing scheme is there. It may mean that he would serve every year of the 28 years up there. That may happen. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're convicted of murder in, in Utah right now, you're either sentenced to 15 or 25 years to life in prison. But how long you actually stay is decided by a group of people called the Board of Pardons. And they have the power – under state law to let you out the day you get there if they chose. Mm-hmm. You know, they can override that sentence. It's pretty uh, odd. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. It isn't done. I mean, except in rare cases where someone is say, I've seen this happen, becomes terminally ill, and they decide, well, we don't want to pay for this guy, so let's parole him. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Uh, but that's rare as well. Mm-hmm. So if you if you get convicted of murder in the state of Utah, your average sentence is going to be in the vicinity of what you talked about, twenty eight years. Oh, really? So oh, so so maybe he got he just gets the sentence of twenty eight years because they know that's what they're going to. They it, other states have what's called determinate sentencing, where they set exactly the amount of time you're going to serve. I mean, I know they don't have the death penalty in Washington. I'm pretty sure. So. I don't think so. But yeah. I mean, if you if you just get sentenced to life in prison. That's rarely means you're going to die in prison, right? I mean, if it of mean, old age. Depends on the board. In Utah, it depends on the board. That that does happen with greater frequency than you think. If you if you were to, grandma, the number of people that are serving life without parole at the Utah State Prison, you'd get back eight and a half by 11 pages, maybe seven or eight pages of people that are single space that are doing that kind of time. Life without the possibility of parole. Yeah, and it's not just for for these offenses; it's for other offenses as well. You know, it's kidnapping. Right, they get tired of you. You know, sex offenses. Mm-hmm. They've seen you before. You know, you've been out and you failed, so we're going to keep you for the safety of others. Can you talk about um, just the most? Uh, may, uh, or do, is I don't know if it's a fair question, but the most fascinating case you ever ever did the one that you, you know, just, just I've had tons of fascinating cases I've been really lucky the most fascinating case I've ever done was a long time ago was I was appointed to represent a, a young Navajo man who along with a group of other young Navajo men were accused of ambushing uh, and killing two tribal policemen at a party hmm. uh, down on the Navajo reservation and the, the, the things that I learned about the state of Utah uh, how we treat Native Americans, the reservation system, the history of Navajos, the Navajo culture, uh, all of that uh, has stuck with me ever since. And where, where did you go to do that case? Like Blanding? or It was in federal court. It was up here. Oh, so it was up here. So, so um, again, part of the difference is that if you're Native American and you commit a crime on, on a reservation, you're tried in the federal courthouse that's nearest to, to the commission of the offense. Uh, and so we take these guys off the reservation and we, and we bring them up to Salt Lake, you know, which is 350 miles away and, it, and in a different world entirely. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, we do that with all, res- all offenses that take place there, though. You know, I, I mean, I learned that, that uh, Navajos will forgive each other for offenses committed against each other. And we're, we're not talking about this murder now, mm-hmm. but lesser offenses. Yeah. And then the next thing that, that they know, and these are people that have been born and raised on the reservation, they're up here being prosecuted uh, by the, the FBI and the United States Attorney's Office, uh, and they don't know why. Because, you know, I mean, the, the, the other party to the offense has forgiven them. So yeah. that should be enough. Did you uh, did you go down to the... Spent a lot of time down there. It's, it's, it's I've been there beautiful. once. Beautiful place. And, and it's like, it re- I've said, I couldn't believe it when I went there. Uh, and I went to the part of the Navajo uh, lands f- through Winslow, Arizona, and up into the reservation there. And it's like you go into a third world country. It's like you go into a different world. It yeah. really is. I mean, just, I talked to people who lived in homes that were that were made, and I mean this literally, of sticks that mm-hmm. were nailed together. You know, and had they had no electricity. And I remember speaking to a woman down there who'd who'd been to law school and who had returned to 
you know, to try and help people there, telling me that they were opposed to having electrical power in some areas because they don't want the power lines. Yeah, no? they, they want to live that way. It's not like they're, you go, oh, these poor people, m- many, most of them are, well, this is the way we live. It's the way we want to live. You know, it got in my blood. I mean, I spent New Year's Eve, the, the year that it changed from 1999 to 2000, I spent New Year's Eve down there. Uh, I remember once being down there alone. Uh, there's there's a, a place they call Four Corners, which is just the intersection of two roads. Then there are a lot of stands that are there. I was down there in the wintertime. It's this time of year. And I'm the only person there, and I walk into one of the stands, and there's a guy who's, who's uh, sketched, pencil sketched, a lot of... Uh, Art, you know, bears and uh, eagles, other animals, you know. It's just me and him. Nobody else is around. You hear the wind blowing. It's cold. And the guy says to me, he says, uh, you're the guy that represented the guy that killed my brother. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is 20 years later. Yeah. I said, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I am. And that was the day that I thought that, you know, that the, that the luck had run out. Couldn't have been nicer. He was couldn't have been nicer. Understood exactly what it was that that the case was about, and you know what my role was in it. And we had a nice talk for a long time. What happened to the, the to the guy that you were defending? The one that I was defending had confessed, and he was convicted. Uh, a couple of the others were acquitted. The, the testimony in the case was largely that of other uh, individuals who'd been there who the government thought was less culpable, and uh, they'd been given immunity from prosecution. Mm-hmm. And they, but they changed their stories. And so uh, the people who were acquitted were acquitted because in the course of the trial they blamed someone different. Who? So is he still in prison? He is. He's, he's serving life, as you asked earlier about a life sentence. <clears throat> do, you ever, um, do you ever go see, visit any of the people? I know you, you defend it. It's not you. You defend people who who you get uh, <laughs> innocent verdicts for. Sure, uh, but uh, people that you get close to people, even the even the ones who are sentenced. Yeah. Do you ever go visit? Do them? I go visit them? Yeah, yeah. Not all, you know. Some mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sub you don't want to ever be around again. But yeah, not so much that. I mean, it's just hard because, like you say, you put a lot of yourself into it. You know, and it's sort of hard to. I'm sure it's not as hard as it is for them to be in prison, but but for me, it's hard to go back and revisit. You know what's what's happened, and yeah. Not, and not there's only so much time as well. And you know we have lots of cases, and have to look forward to what's going to happen to the people who aren't in that situation yet. How many cases do you handle uh, at, at one time? I mean, I'd say right now, <clears throat> and this is this is sort of bad because my partner is just appointed by the governor to be. Uh, Head of the Criminal Justice Commission in Utah, Kim Cordova. Right. Yeah, she's she. I had just some little dealing with her with the problem of my younger son, and uh, she handled that, and she was great. She's a great lawyer. Yeah. And so, to, and I guess in recognition of that, he's appointed her to be head of this, this Criminal Justice Commission, that's mm-hmm. responsible for all criminal justice in Utah. But that's left me with about I would say about two hundred cases. <laughs> Can you? Are you going to get another partner? I don't know what I'm going to do. I haven't quite figured that out. That what's just your, happened last week. What's your lawyer kid doing? Yeah. This can it be brass I, and brass? I've had him running around a little bit. Yeah, brass and brass, maybe. Yeah, huh? he, he can do all. He can take do the drives. You know, you have a a, a fascinating uh, life, though. I mean, I know, I know that you it, it wears on you sometimes emotionally, a lot of times, but. You get to do a lot of fascinating things. There's no too. question. No, no, it's great. I have no complaints. Yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, you know, I, I know you. Sometimes you hire uh, private investigators. Sure, and, often, 
Yeah, and and I forget that one guy who uh, I met that worked on a little thing for me. What's yeah. that guy's name? Uh, Travis, probably. Uh, man, he was he was just great. Yeah, just a uh, former cop, I think. Right, and oftentimes that's the case. Yeah, because they have the experience and they're done. They can retire after twenty years, and they're still most of them are still young. That that thing he worked on uh, that I was involved in. Uh, that's when I saw how the criminal justice system really works, though. <laughs> Because it, it it was a back and forth, and a, a, a car a car had been kind of misappropriated from me, and Ed was nice enough to get this private investigator guy to track that down and get the car finally, where I could never get it, and uh, so we end up in court with the party that had taken the car uh, and not paid me for it, and uh, we end up in court, and I'm I'm all excited, you know, I think oh we're going to go before a judge, it's going to be really interesting, and. <laughs> And then there's this, uh, we meet with the prosecutor. Right. Ed goes to meet with the prosecutor. Wait here, he says to me. Wait here. So I'm sitting there. Ed comes out and says, okay, the prosecutor wants to talk to both of us. We go in, sit with the prosecutor and the prosecuting attorney. He was very nice. Uh, was a fan of the show, as I recall. <laughs> He's now risen to a position in the administration over there, yeah. Oh, yeah? He's a, he seemed like a sharp guy. One of the guy. top guys, yeah. Yeah, sharp guy and, uh, <laughs> and a nice, seemed like a pretty nice guy. Great guy. And uh, apparently you and he had had a chat, and then uh, so they had worked out a deal where this guy would pay me some money every month, and, uh, and the prosecutor said, is that okay with you? And I said, I said, Dad, is that okay with me? <laughs> you know, I, I, tur- I try to let Ed take the lead, but at a certain point he has to say, well, buddy, you have to fly on your own here. You answer. You get to make the decision yeah. on those things, right? Yeah. And uh, so we, and I said, so this is how, this is how the legal system works. The criminal justice system works as you just described it. For the most part, that no, way, no, right? so many <laughs> things never go before a judge. Well, if you would hope not, or if they go before the judge, they're worked out. It's already yeah, it's already packaged out. up. Actually, I think it did go before the judge. You had did somebody you, has to stamp it. You had to go there, or right, and, and someone has to approve what happened. Yeah. But it, but so many things just get worked out beforehand. If if they didn't, the system would collapse. And yeah. the reason they, they is you, you take any judge. Look, I was over in, in just for example Monday. I was over in front of a, a judge who I think is a, a very effective and efficient judge, with a woman whose last name began with S in the morning at nine o'clock in the morning. And and they write up the calendars in alphabetical order. So she was an S. And her her case number was 114 that day. This was at nine o'clock. He has a calendar also at 1:30. Keep in mind. So somehow he's supposed to do justice, as it were, mm-hmm. for all these people. Which I guess when you added the rest of the alphabet in, would have been somewhere around 140, something like that. Yeah. All by lunchtime. Nope. And come back and do you know 50, 60 more in the afternoon. So if it isn't worked out, you know it. it, it it presupposes that people know what they're doing and can come to some sort of reasonable arrangement. And I and I, I think it's the judges will the judge will say you know okay this has been worked out and that but then the defendant the ju- again the defendant has to make the final absolutely decision he has to approve it yeah and then the judge will say to the defendant so they've worked this out do you agree with that yes your honor good if, bye if you spend much time over there you'll notice that they scrutinize some people's agreements closer than other oh, people's oh, so yeah. yeah uh so do you think that the uh, legal system here in utah and in salt lake where you do most of your work although god knows you go to 
price and fifty percent of the time I spend outside of Salt Lake at least. It, it is is it does it work well enough or it works very well. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's it's functioning well now. It's it's there are cracks in it that are beginning to appear, mm-hmm. I, and I think some of the cracks are attributable to the fact that there are so many people out there now with with no specific job who perceive themselves to be criminal lawyers. You know, mm-hmm. so but that's that's part of it, and part of it is the the sheer numbers. You know, I, I keep reading. And hearing that there, that crime's going down, that there's there's a decrease in crime, you, you wouldn't get that by going to the courthouse. I mean, you would not get that sense at all by going there with because the, the calendars for all these judges have become giant. So, so you don't you don't know what that discrepancy is? Though? No, I don't know. I mean, I, I it may it may be that 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 there is less crime, and, and at the same time that they're prosecuting more of the crime that there is instead of diverting it out of the system in, in some way. I mean, uh, you know, go back to the beginning where we were, I'm pretty lucky because I'm pretty sure that right, that if we look at teenage me versus today, mm-hmm. old man me, that, that a te- if I was a teenage me now, uh, I'd never make it to law school because my record would be horrendous, you know, because the, the, everyone has to be labeled now. You know, there aren't any more. Well, I'm, what do you mean? I'm not sure what you're trying to say. Though. What I'm trying to say is that in the year 2018, you don't get a ride home from the police anymore. You get prosecuted. You get taken to jail. Yeah, they don't. Yeah. Why is that? I don't know. We've dehumanized the system. Yeah. That, that would be my answer to that I mean, question. there were the cops that would beat you with a flashlight before they asked whether yeah. you were guilty or not. But then there were the cops who'd say, look. Look. You know, go home. Yeah, we're going to let your mother and father deal with yeah. this. You know, and yeah. that that was yeah. I met up common. with that when I was a kid. I met up with yeah. some of that. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, what do you what do you do? I know you like sports a lot. <laughs> I do like sports, but but you yell and scream about sports. So is that a release for you, or uh, I don't know. I mean, or I, does I, it make I, you even more? Tense. I think I don't know. I, you quit I, drinking. Yeah, I quit drinking a long time ago, so there's no reason. Did you ever smoke? Did you quit smoking? Never smoked. You never smoked. Okay. No, my mom smoked, and so that was a deterrent for me. Yeah. Uh, now, how do you calm down? Uh, by, by watching uh, CNN. You know? Heroin. He does a yeah, lot yeah, of heroin. Yeah. And I think you know. I think, unfortunately, I don't know that there is an answer to that question right <laughs> Do now. You I don't think know that I'm particularly you, calm. You don't. Is the problem. I mean, you come across as very contained, and uh, well, I mean, what good but, does it do, right? Yeah. You know. But but I but I think you're you're there may be some bro- roiling tensions in there. There's a few I, things. Yeah, there there. Yeah, and it's, how it's you, hard I, to sleep. You know, it's hard to sleep at night. Yeah. You, for fun. I mean, I mean, I know you went to you went to on a trip to Germany and uh, we went to Germany, that. and then last summer we went to Africa. That was pretty pretty yeah, incredible. Yeah. Uh, and you know, but that that wears off within <laughs> seventy two hours of being back. You know? So it's sports, pretty much. Sports is yeah. Sports yeah. is uh, sports. Sports is okay. Yeah. I'm sure they'll find me stroked out laying on the living room floor in front of the TV. <laughs> and, of course, the wonderful radio, ra- wonderful radio from Hell Show. That calms me down. All right. Yeah. I, hope one, I hope one day somebody just goes, I haven't heard from Ed in a while, and he'll disappear, and then somebody will be driving down to Vegas, and they'll, I'll look <laughs> out. No, I'll look out, and there'll be a herd of sheep, <laughs> and there'll be a guy with a beard like fucking Gandalf <laughs> and a staff out yeah, there. And I'll be good. It'll just be Ed, and I'll be like, 
That'll be it. That's that's the way to go. Just that's do what, it. After I get this board, that's exactly. What I mean, Amy will know where you are. I guess she'll come visit you on the sheep farm. It's either but the rest no, of no, us. She won't like care it. about that. Peace. She'll 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 be on to something else by that time. Oh, okay. You, what do you uh, uh, you think about retiring at all? You. My retirement plan is death. I used I used to fear. I used to fear that. I used to fear that the last thing that I was going to see was. This one particular judge who will remain nameless—that I would, you know, have a, a massive heart attack. In, uh, his, I'm going to say his/her. There's people who know who this is courtroom. Huh? Yeah, courtroom, and I would look up, and that would be the last face I saw <laughs> as I left. You know, I mean, and that person thankfully retired, and so now I don't care. Whatever happens, happens. That's okay. It's either it's either going to be that way, or it's going to be me diving headfirst over the balcony in the Matheson courthouse, you know, <laughs> and, and getting smashed down by the metal detectors. One or the other. I don't think that'll happen. No, I, that could happen. I think at some point you'll just it'll be like me. They'll just turn out the lights. You know, they'll shut off the <laughs> microphone, turn out the lights, and say, you're, you're, "Go home now, son." I think the lights got turned out a long time ago. Is a problem. I think I'm just going through the motions. But even after death, I've got two years worth of cases. That clean up so i don't know what i'm gonna do <laughs> edward k brass what does the case stand for kenneth edward kenneth brass uh attorney at law uh one of the true good guys in the, in the court system it's really kind of you to say that it's very true Thank and you. i know <laughs> lots of people would say that I, again the and this will embarrass the hell out of you but That's when i right. i went over to the court that first time with you and uh, we walked through. You met me at the uh, front part of the yeah. Matheson Courthouse, yeah. and we walked through the courthouse. And like it's like all the other attorneys, prosecutors, and defense attorneys, the waves part because it's Ed Brass. You you could just tell you have immense respect over there. It's like Norm on Cheers. <laughs> hey, Norm. No, that's like not that. the kind of respect <laughs> I'm talking about. It's just, you could just you could tell it was just uh, the people uh, the people you work with really like you and res- most. I, you, there are probably some people who think you're a, an asshole. No, no, but, plenty. But but the, all of the uh, people you could just see the looks on their faces and like it's oh that's a that's, it's Ed Brass. Hi Ed, nice to hey. You know. Maybe they were horrified. I mean, but since you mentioned going through the, the metal detector, let me just let me just say. Uh, for those of you that are listening, to please not bring your coin collection to the metal detector when I'm behind you in line, because that is what's going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> Happens too often. Huh? Yeah, they, yeah, these guys that they got a they got bags full of nickels and dimes, sort of. Who knows? You know, I'm paying court, my fine. <laughs> the courthouse is not the best place for mental health issues. It really isn't. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <Not> bad. <laughs> All right. uh, Edward K. Brass. If you need a defense attorney, he's busy. <laughs> exactly. Ten calls. That's all. He's a busy. Just ten, maybe twelve. Yeah, twelve calls. Twelve that's calls. All. That's all. Well, if you don't know, you only have ten. That's fingers. my motto. Because <laughs> you have to hold them up to the camera. Yeah. Ten calls. <laughs> and put, that's all. And put some string on the tenth one. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, I want to crowdfund that billboard for you. All right. You can do that. <laughs> yeah. Thanks a lot for uh, doing this. I know you don't like to do stuff like this. No, I hate it, but you're you're a good friend. I love you, and uh, of course I would come here. Well, thanks for I, I think I think this may be your lowest rated podcast ever. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think on maybe one of, uh, one of our most requested guests for sure. Yeah, people well, now now the, they can quit now. I yeah. don't know why they're requesting. Um, yeah. All right. Good. All right. Uh, that's it. Uh, that's the Let's Go Eat show. We didn't eat, but oh, I brought a tangerine. I got a cup of coffee. I'm yeah, good. You got coffee or tangerine? You can have tangerine. A, I'm not touching it. Would you like a Reed's yeah. uh, cinnamon a candy? Yeah, definitely. I'm sure I could use it. All right. Uh, that's it. I'm Bill Allred. That was Ed Brass. Thanks, Dylan, for producing the show. Uh-huh. Thank uh, you. And remember, if you're pouring the drinks, always make mine a double.
And me, nothing. I can only have coffee. That's what the restraining order says. Broadway Media Podcast Network.